When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Today on the Family Brain, I'll be talking with Dr. Cynthia Phelps, founder and CEO of Inner Ally. Inner Ally is a digital media corporation that produces video games and digital tools to help people manage their mental wellness. Cynthia has a background in pharmacology with a focus on mental health and behavioral change. She also has a background in neuroscience, and she has an interesting perspective that I hadn't heard before about self-compassion and how it relates to recovery from different kinds of addictions and improving mental wellness in general. So I hope you enjoy this episode of The Family Brain. I know I have a sense of what you do and what you're working on, but I don't fully know how you came to the work or uh, the scope of it. So I would love to hear a little bit about what got you interested in this type of work, if this is what you've always been doing, or if this is something that's a newer passion for you. Right. So why don't I start with describing uh, what I am and what I do now. Um, I basically sit at the uh, intersection between technology and mental health and wellness. Uh, and so I uh, do things in the human world like coaching and teaching and uh, working with people, um, teaching classes and, and doing workshops and holding events and stuff like that. Uh, and then I also I create digital tools to help people practice self-compassion um, and mental health and wellness in, in general. And so those digital tools include things like mobile apps, uh, online learning, and other things like website design. Very cool. It, it seems to me kind of unusual that somebody would have, I don't know, and maybe this is my own bias, just that, that a lot of people who are super involved in tech are not super involved in mental health-related things. Or, you know what I mean? Or that there's mental health people and they're not super tech savvy. Is that my own bias or is that, does that ring true? I think that's an accurate assessment. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm not just, you know, in my bubble. No, and I can tell you a little bit about my path that I think can help you better understand about why I, I sit in the middle between these two worlds, which are often disparate, as you say. Yes. Uh, or even have conflicting goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, I'm actually trained as a, a scientific researcher. My PhD is in pharmacology with a focus in neuroscience. And uh, when I was doing my neuroscience PhD uh, is when I was doing it in learning and memory. And uh, during that time is when the Internet really started to become interesting. So browsers came online and you could create interesting websites with 
animations and branching pathways and logic and do some really cool things. And at the time, I, with a few friends, developed a website to teach kids about their brains and about learning. Cool. And I was completely captivated with the outcome and I was certain that this was the way that the world was going to learn in the future and that and at that point I really changed the trajectory of my career from being a basic neuroscience researcher to um, studying learning and technology and basically how we can use technology to facilitate learning. I ended up working my way into a faculty position at the University of Texas Health Science Center uh, in, in Houston. And uh, there I developed a program in learning and technology where I did all kinds of interesting projects uh, that had to do with teaching science and uh, so forth using, using technology. So everything from, we had a grant from the National Institute of Drug Abuse to teach kids about the science of uh, opioids. And uh, that was an adventure game online that they could interact with. And then I also did things like using you know, basic artificial intelligence to help uh, design a program for nurses to be able to interview psychiatric patients. And so it really ran the gamut, but the, the theme was using technology to help people learn. Uh, and I eventually started partnering with our School of Public Health because I became more and more interested in behavior change and how to use uh, technology for helping people to change their own behavior, have, you know, better health behaviors. And uh, I've never, I've, I've been kind of enamored with that idea ever since. And as part of that, I got really interested in designing games because games actually have lots of really fabulous components that help you track and change your own behavior um, and help you to be more internally motivated to do things. And so I ended up in San Antonio because I took a job as a game designer for an educational uh, company that was designing for the iPhone and iPad at the time. And so uh, I started my own company in 2009, which is called Healthy Designs. And it is a contracting company. So people come to me if primarily they're in the health business. Uh, so mental health is kind of my niche, but I also do other uh, uh, work with other health professionals. And so it would be people like uh, professors at universities that need an app done. I just recently finished one up with Trinity University uh, professor, psychology professor there. Uh, that we created an app to uh, help uh, psychiatric patients uh, kind of track their own behavior before their appointments so that their psychiatrist can actually have a better insight um, into uh, who they are before they even meet with them for the first time. That's which is genius. I was super cool, right? Yes. That idea, but have that. I was the contractor there where we developed the app for him. That's really great. Uh, and yeah, and my first contracts were with the uh, Veterans Administration, where I've done a lot of online professional training with their mental health professionals. So basically, instead of them having to fly across the country for training, they um, do some of their training online uh, through the programs that we've developed, which is really cool. And then we've also done a couple of apps for them as well. We have one for veterans that have schizophrenia to help them um, manage their medication, cope with symptoms in the moment, and uh, uh, really even learn more about the, their disorders. So, so I've got have had a chance to do some really cool things, and so you can kind of see how um, the technology and the mental health is. It is possible for it to be woven together. Yes, but it takes a special person to be able to understand both worlds. I think, and and be able to bring them together because that's definitely a skill set. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very special. <laughs> I am very impressed. I mean, this is cooler than I even thought. <laughs> this is just really fun. I have, my mind is like buzzing, like, what can my app be? Is that what everybody right? always is trying I to mean, think it's of? So, yeah. It's such a cool world, right? It is. It is. And for all the mundane, I mean, I can think of a couple of apps that have helped me just manage my own self better. And it really can be a game changer, you know, just to mm -hmm. the, the things that you want to be more organized about or keep better track of. 
Um, so I love that. What? So what got you interested in the work in self-compassion? What? How did that mm-hmm. sort of manifest itself in all of this? Right. Well, that's a parallel story, um, but a, but a really uh, important one. Um, it, it really sprung from a pretty impressive life difficulty that I was going through. Uh, I got divorced in 2004 from a very difficult, uh, it was just a very difficult situation with a lot of loss and I lost a business and a stepson and a girlfriend and uh, it was bad. And I had gotten to the point where I was using alcohol as a way to kind of blot out my life (laughs) instead Mm -hmm. of as a as a fun and social uh, thing, and so uh, and I was really struggling uh, with drinking, and I had actually signed myself up for rehab, and I went in 2008, but at that point, I really wasn't interested in, in I was, I, I wanted to get my life back. I wasn't interested in having a mental illness. I wasn't interested in being an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in quitting drinking, I was interested in being normal because there was so much shame for me around the fact that I wasn't able to totally control my drinking anymore, Mm -hmm. that that shame was more powerful than anything they tried to teach me at rehab. So I was mildly successful. I didn't kill myself with alcohol, which was awesome. I think I stayed sober for maybe eight months after rehab, but my goal was to to get back to normal. And so in my world, normal was, you know, going to an art opening and having a glass of wine or going to dinner with friends and having a drink. And, um, you know, I tried to engage in those behaviors again. And unfortunately, it was pretty damaging to me. It caused a lot of rebound stress and, and depression. And also, I, I still had difficulty quitting drinking once I started. Like, after I had a couple drinks, it was really hard not to just keep drinking. Mm-hmm. And so that puts you in some dangerous situations. So, you know, fast forward to, I think it's like 2012 now. Uh, so I've kind of been suffering in this space for about four years of, like, you know, wanting to be normal and trying to be normal and having it not work for me. And I was reading a research article. Uh, uh, it, well, I was actually reading a magazine that talked about research. And uh, and this woman, Kristen Nash from the University of Texas in Austin, and her research was all about self-compassion. And I hadn't really considered, like, even what that was before. And as I was learning more about it, I was really blown away because the positive side of the things that were associated with self-compassion were really compelling. Like it, it like lower depression, lower stress and anxiety, more productivity and, and, and creativity and innovation, better interpersonal relationships, uh, you know, better uh, ability to control your own health behaviors. I mean, it was really outstanding for basically this one, like, measurement of your kind of, I mean, it's not really a personality measurement, but uh, I I was like, I want this. I really want this. And so I sat there on the couch reading my little magazine, and and I said to myself, well, what what would be the most, you know, self-compassionate thing that I could do for myself if I were to practice this? And before I could even get that question out of my mouth, the answer was, you know, quit drinking, dummy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't really self-compassionate yet, you're right, because I right. was calling myself names. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like one of those moments where kind of time stands still, and like I've never forgotten that moment because I just knew it was going to be like a massive change in my life. And so uh, at that point... Um, I set a sober date for myself in the future, a couple months, and then I started practicing. I started learning as much as I could and started practicing, and um, I'm a trained teacher in a research method called, uh, or uh, it really is a teaching method called Mindful Self-Compassion that's based on the research. It's an eight-week course that I teach every year, uh, at least once a year, sometimes twice, and um, I should be getting certified in the fall, and so... um, it completely changed my life, uh, and um, when my sober date came, I just remember thinking, like, this this isn't hard. Like, 
in fact, I remember it, it, my sober date was uh, January 1st. And so I was driving in San Antonio, and San Antonio is a pretty big party town. And so they had the billboards still up from the holidays, you know, the, all the ones that threaten you about drinking and driving. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was uh, very ominous looming above your car yeah and i was driving under one and i would just had this like realization that i never have to worry about that again and like just the amount of brain cycles that i had spent on managing my own drinking managing the anxiety and depression that came out of it managing how i was going to get home managing what social events i could go to and you know still you know, not embarrass myself but you know it's just like all of that like buzz and crap and and chatter was gone and it was an amazing experience and and I really it, it didn't take me more than like probably like two weeks of uh this experience where I was like you know what I bet it's not just me who you know ha was struggling with addiction and, and then really what they needed was to understand this idea of self-compassion and beginning and begin to practice it and so I started immediately like <laughs> figuring out how I was going to spread the word on this on self-compassion and so since then I've I've written a curriculum uh, an eight module curriculum uh, that uh, is all around preventing relapse uh, using self-compassion and I use that in um, teaching and I teach classes around it. I also coach using that format as well. Uh, and then my company, Inner Ally, I started that company in 2014. The idea behind that is it actually produces products in this space. And so, um, uh, you know, I've had some setbacks in that arena. You know, it's, starting a startup is not an easy thing. And so <laughs> I've, I've put a couple teams together, you know, they've fallen apart. Uh, in fact, I even had my artist pass away. Mm. Uh, and so it, <laughs> it's been a little bit of a struggle to get that off the ground. But it, I'm really, really feeling like right now is the time. Because uh, you know, when I first started thinking about this stuff, you know, mindfulness was not even in like the public mind. Right. Uh, and so now you can't you escape know, it. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Two years ago, it yeah. was on the cover of Time magazine, and it just seems like it opened the floodgates. And yeah. so, you know, if so, self-compassion. Let me let me back up and tell your listeners why I'm talking about mindfulness. Uh, you know, self-compassion has three main components. One is mindfulness, being aware that you have suffering. Um, the second is something called common humanity, which is the awareness that you're human and just like all the other humans, you suffer. Uh, and then the final one is the self-kindness, which is a real active process and how you, how do you take care of yourself, um, how do you speak to yourself? How do you support yourself? Uh, how do you have? How do you create a self-compassionate relationship with yourself? And so, mindfulness is the first step into be being able to effectively practice self-compassion. Because if you if you're not aware of the thoughts in your head, if you're not aware of the emotions in your body, if you're not aware that you're suffering, then you're not going to be able to kind of apply the tools and practices of self-compassion. Well, what about what in your um, history of being a neuroscientist? Why does this work? Why do you think, like in the brain? I guess if you can keep it on a very um, first, second grade level, <laughs> no <laughs> what's problem. happening in the brain? Well, I think probably the closest um, I can come to something that I would say would be. Um, I'm not sure. Let's start with psychology before we jump to neuroscience. Okay. So, uh, you know, psychology is more about studying people's behaviors uh, and, and things like, uh, you know, understanding talk therapy. Uh, and, you know, psychiatry is more about drugs to fix chemical problems. And so psychology, um, psychologists for a long time have noticed a correlation between depression and negative self-talk. Um, and so, and also ruminating negative thoughts. And so, if you've ever had a bout of depression, 
you're probably nodding your head going, oh, yeah, I can totally mm-hmm. see that. And, and it's a little chicken and egg problem. You know, it's hard to tell exactly which comes first, but it's definitely tight association. And so, uh, you know, it's very... I think those these thoughts are also very common with things like burnout and overwhelm. You know, we really uh, either either we start with or we end up with a story that this is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we know that there is that association out there. Um, and so with self-compassion, one of the things like it it really is tightly associated. Uh, inversely associated with depression. And so um, I suspect that uh, a large part of that is this internal conversation that we all have with ourselves. And so this isn't like, you know, multiple personalities is something that I'm talking about. I'm talking about like that little voice inside your head that's going like, oh, I know what she's talking about. Or, oh, uh, you know, I don't know about what she's saying. Right, <laughs> I don't right. Know if I believe her. You know that little running narrative that is always in the back of our heads, and and uh, and we have a relationship with this narrative. We also have control over this narrative. I mean, unless you have some kind of um, uh, disorder that is uh, has hallucinations involved with it or delusions, you, you, we have full control over uh, the conversation that we're having in our head. Uh, even if we have, even if we have to use our mindfulness and then go back and, and shift it. <laughs> right. Yes. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I really think that, um, you know, in terms of what's going on in, in, in the brain and why self-compassion is so powerful is that it's really changing that inner conversation. And that's why I named my company inner ally, because I really wanted to create that inner friend uh, for people so that they could learn the skills and the practices that uh, resulted in higher self-compassion so they could get all the benefits as well. Yes. When I think it's interesting to me as I've gotten older and tried to improve my own self-talk, I think it sharpens your mind too to all the negative messages you get from outside of yourself as well. You know, I mean, oh, about, boy, right? right? Like just whether it be from advertising or just the way people talk about things. I saw something the other day that I liked. It was like, my, my best beach body is whatever body I bring to the beach. I'm like, yes, yeah, that's, oh, what, I love that. you know, right. Yeah. I loved it. But it's, <laughs> but it, it, it's something that once you notice, it's hard to unnotice, but that's, oh, yeah, you're, you're you in know. trouble once you, once you understand mindfulness. <laughs> right. And I'm not saying I'm a pro, but I'm just saying it just, you know, not only are we working against negative messages from ourselves, it's all these external, you can be super positive in your own mind and then get external things that you really have to work to keep outside of your own processing. That's right. And so, you know, I think here would be a great time for me to make a distinction between um, a self-compassionate relationship with yourself versus a positive or negative one. Okay. And so... Uh, you know, in the, geez, I think it was probably the early 70s, the positive thought movement started, uh, maybe even earlier, uh, where basically the message was, you know, think positive all the time. Right. And then your life is going to be better. Like the, you're good enough, you're smart enough, you and darn it, people smiling. like you. Yeah. <laughs> you, and that, and, you know, that is not untrue. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever experienced where you try to give yourself an affirmation like, I am beautiful. And that little voice, you know, that one you have a conversation with in your head goes, oh, heck no. Yeah, it just feels <laughs> fo- it phony. You. It feels a little right, phony. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so that, that's one of the drawbacks to the positive like thought movement is that you know, for those things to really benefit you, you have to be internally lined up. Like, you have to believe what you're saying. Uh, and when you don't, it doesn't uh, help you, really. And so what I love about self-compassion versus positive thinking uh, is that self-compassion takes you as you are. And so the whole idea behind self-compassion is it is a response to your own suffering. And so if you're having a really bad day, and that's usually when your affirmations don't work, right? Right, for sure. When you need them the most, yeah. When you need them the most, right? Right. 
day and you say, you know, I am awesome. And your little voice on the inside is like, look, you just, like, you, you know, you just totally screwed this thing up at work. What do you mean you're awesome? (laughs) (laughs) And so um, self-compassion is, is the practice of it is a little bit different. What you do is when, after you've screwed the thing up at work and you feel bad about it, you actually use your mindfulness to be able to notice how you are in that moment. And you really stop and you give yourself some support and some comfort in the time. And so it might sound like, like, oh, I know it must be so hard right now because that presentation didn't go well at work. And you worked hard on it and it still fell flat. But you know, there's going to be another shot, you're going to get another try at it. And in the big scope of things, everything is going to be okay. And you're smart, and you're capable, and you can do it. And so that internal conversation is a lot different than it just, you know, like, kind of trying to cram yourself into a positive thinking box. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And the thing that sparks in my mind is that self-compassion can, it seems like it would be very useful for sort of like a perfectionistic tendencies, you know, like just, Absolutely. I mean, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it ain't easy. And it's, I mean, I think part of it is just sometimes I think how you come into the world, you know, I think some people are just more programmed with sort of an intensity um, towards that kind of thing. But I think I like this self-compassion idea that, I mean, who am I to think that I'm even have the possibility of being perfect? You know, why, why is that something I put on myself? Um, right. Who taught you that? Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I think that perfectionism is definitely one of the things that self-compassion really does a great job with. And, and uh, what I notice is people who come to me for coaching uh, oftentimes, oftentimes are perfectionists, and they're very, very hard on themselves. And so, if you look at their internal conversation, you know they say things to themselves that, if you would turn and say that to a friend, like you would that you would not have that friend anymore. Right, for sure. <laughs> well, even and so, uh, yeah. Even this podcast, good. I had had this idea to do this podcast for you know a few months, not not super long. But I was getting so wrapped up about, well, how do I do it? And how, what if it's not right? And what if it's not? And I went to this training and I asked a question, which was, okay, well, how do I get it right? How do I make it um, ju- just right? You know, and the guy that was um, helping with the, the presentation basically was like, eh, it probably won't be that good at first. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. And he's like, but you'll get better. I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. You know, but it just sort of took some of that, that, anxiousness away like eh, it, it won't be that great you'll, you'll look back and laugh <laughs> okay okay let's do it that's great yeah yeah, yeah. And so setting impossible standards for ourselves is one of the things that is not compassionate behavior yeah and so that's right in line with perfectionism and uh, I, I think it also that's what oftentimes perfectionism leads to burnout and leads to overwhelm uh, and live then oftentimes leads to depression as well. And so uh, if you can nip it in the bud, if you will, start noticing your internal conversations and you know what, like the litmus test is can't, you know, if I, if I said this to my friend, like how would they react? You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. And you're so much more thoughtful with how you respond to someone else often. That's right. Yeah. And in fact, I use that in my coaching uh, as a way to help people develop their own um, internal, like positive or, or comforting, really supportive and comforting voices is the right term. And um, uh, so one of the things I'll do is if somebody's has a really uh, a story that they have going around in their head that's not serving them at all, it's really hurting them. I will say, okay, well, tell me who, you know, give me the name of one of your really big advocates, somebody who really is always on your side. I'll be like, okay, yeah, it's my mom or my sister or whatever. And I say, okay, well, think about this particular situation. I, like, what would your mom say? And so oftentimes we can use other people's words because uh, we know 
we can we are we actually are good at giving a pep talk to other people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when it comes to us, for some reason, we feel a little guilty or ashamed to be able to speak that way to ourselves. And there's you know a variety of misconceptions that people have about um, self compassion, like oh, if I'm self compassionate, it'll all just be gluttonous and I'll eat anything I want because I'm being nice to myself or, uh, or if I'm nice to myself, it means I'm a narcissist and I'm not, you know, I'm not a good mom because I'm not putting everybody else in front of my own needs. And, and so there's like a lot of, God, the mental gymnastics we do with ourselves is just exhausting. I mean, the fact that we aren't always tired is remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm tired most of the time. It's just not all the time. Yeah. Well, I'm really delighted to kind of help people lift that burden. You know, that moment that I had on the highway where all of a sudden all of that, I just had that realization that all of that chatter, all that blah, 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 it just was dissipated. Uh, And that's the kind of freedom and and lightness that I really want people to be able to experience. And so the changing of this conversation is really key. And, And in fact, one of the things that I've done with my team at Inner Ally is we've created a set of like avatars, if you will. Uh, they're all based on emotional core needs. Uh, and they basically help you craft language that's kind and supportive for yourself. And so for instance, one of them is called the Knights. And so the Knight is emotional core need is security. And so around the night, you might say things to yourself like, uh, may I be safe, or um, I am able to take care of myself, or I make decisions that benefit me. Uh, and, and basically with this avatar comes kind of some stock phrases, if you will, uh, that you can then modify, you know, say, oh, that one doesn't ring true to me, but like, oh, I really like the way that sounds. I want to say that to myself. Mm-hmm. Gives you uh, sort of a starter, something to start it with. It is just yeah. like a starter kit. Because I know for myself, you know, I had such a toxic, like, really, like, name-calling, awful internal voice that to get from where I was to, you know, really practicing self-compassion was a big gap. And uh, it would, you know, you think I'm pretty smart, right? I've got a PhD, I've got mm-hmm. all this experience. But I struggled to craft this language for myself. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I heard one of my teachers when I was going through the teacher training that um, she walked us through like what one of her internal conversations sounded like. And I was like, oh, that's what I didn't get before. Like I didn't know that you could actively speak kindly to yourself. Like it was in the book, right? I read it. But, like, I couldn't make that leap. And so I really think the inner allies that uh, we've created are a tool. And I use them in my coaching. I've got little cards that are uh, have the different avatars on them and the that. different phrases. And, it and almost so reminds they really me, help. I love that. It almost reminds me of, I don't I forget the, the official word, but the idea of um, representation matters. Like, if a little girl sees a female police officer, she'll know that she, mm. too, can become a police officer but sometimes until you see it or in this instance hear what those words would sound like it still just feels like unreal or not something it just doesn't exist yeah yeah it's not it's it's in that realm of what you don't know you don't know yes totally (laughs) totally that makes a lot of sense and I agree and and, you know uh, at the time that I went through the teacher training like I'd already been studying the literature on my own I already took the full eight-week self-compassion course myself uh, and so, like, I was a long ways away along in my training to have that epiphany, right? So, like, I fundamentally didn't get it until that point. Right. And, and so I know that uh, this tool, this, these avatars are really needed out there. That's a great idea. What, what, was the, what has been the um, response from the recovery community about this concept? Is it something that's being welcomed or challenged or... I don't know enough about, I know AA has a very set model. I'm just wondering how welcoming it is, these new ideas. Sure. So, you know, the AA is only one piece of the recovery community. The, the recovery community is huge. Okay. And there's all They're the ones with the most press. <laughs> they're the ones with the most press. And yeah. Actually, they're, 
probably the largest, like, you know, I would, they're not a nonprofit. They're not not a nonprofit. <laughs> they, just, they are just groups of people who have self-organized, right? Okay. Uh, and so, um, yeah, AA has its own rule sets and, you know, way that you get a sponsor and then you go through this process that they've developed and it started in, like, the 40s. So it's been around for a long time and very successful yes. helping people. Um, but there's, you know, they rate their success on the people who stay, not mm. the people who leave. <laughs> right. That's Yeah, I never and thought so of that. Not, yeah, it's not for everyone. Uh, and most people, and a lot of people go through a treatment center of some sort. So that's a huge uh, component to it as well. There's other research-based programs. And, and the one that I've worked on is obviously a research-based program. And so, you know, I have... I, have, I finished up last year a 12-module curriculum that is basically the inter-ally method for relapse prevention using self-compassion, which you know, definitely needs a better name than that. But <laughs> It gets the idea across of what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah, Sometimes right. that's more important than making it sound cute. Yeah, and so there's lots of different points of intervention in recovery. So, and and first, it's also important to recognize that uh, you know addiction is a spectrum disorder. So some people have a little of it, some people have a lot, uh, and so where you fall on that spectrum, you're going to need very different interventions. I have never heard it described that way. Am I? Well, I don't. I, I think it's a fairly. Uh, new way of thinking it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense and I think people have a framework with the autism spectrum that that makes sense you know and that this is something that it's not either you're all in or all out that's right interesting and so I know for sure you know my curriculum is not for the people who are all the way at the like really really afflicted by addiction because frequently what happens with those people is they've alienated everybody in their life they don't have a job they don't have a house and so they what the interventions that they need to go through is like they need a hospital detox Mm -hmm. they need an inpatient program and then they need a lot of social services to even get to a point where they can function as an independent person and so you know what i do is not at that level at all it's for more for people uh who are either not as um, deeply affected by addiction, lower on the spectrum, um, you know, or people who are, um, I guess, have their basic needs met, right? Mm-hmm. So you could be one of those people high on the spectrum, but then after a year and you're stable and you have a place to live and you have food to eat and all that, then this work really could benefit you, I think. Yes, yeah, sort of the hierarchy of needs kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So my stuff is not on the bottom of the pyramid. It's closer to the top. Right. It's like that those final tweaks, right, to make your life awesome. Right. And to make <laughs> the changes you've made so far kind of stick. Yeah. It, exactly. Exactly. So I was just speaking to um, the counselors at Alpha Home, which is a women's home for recovery here in San Antonio. And um, I was talking about the curriculum and you know, some of the differences between what's taught in other programs. And so a lot of programs have this kind of, uh, you know, they don't talk much about relapse and, and, and lapse. Uh, so the difference in between a lapse and a relapse, a lapse would be, so say you're an alcoholic and you get sober, you're sober for a time, period of time, and then you go out and you have a couple drinks uh, and then you wake up the next morning and you say, oh, my gosh, that was a terrible idea. I'm back on the path. So that would be considered a lapse. Okay. A relapse would be you go out in the, the night on the town, you have a couple drinks, and then you do it again and again and again and again. Uh, so it's a longer stretch. It's more like returning to your old behavior habits in a, in a substantial way. And so what I know that my curriculum does a good job with is that many times why people turn a lapse into a relapse is because they just go, screw it. Mm. There's no, why did I think I could do this? There's no, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. And it's shame, 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 shame. You know, and self-compassion is the antidote to shame. Wow. 
That's amazing. I mean, this is incredible work, Cynthia, really. Because I oh, think that you. I really, I, and I'm learning so much. I mean, I, I, this is one of the fun things about doing this podcast is that there are certain topics that I think, oh, I've read some things. You know, I sort of feel like I maybe know some things about these topics, but I'm learning so much from you. This is great. And I think Wonderful. it's giving people another way, you know, I mean, if, if yeah, AA sure. hasn't worked for you or you, or something went wrong and you don't know what it was and, you know, you just figure, well, it didn't work. Oh, well, you know, I mean that there right, are these right. different options. Or if you were like me and you, you can recognize your own yourself in my story and say like that you didn't ever want to go to rehab. You just wanted to be normal. And you've got this shame story around struggling with a substance or struggling with alcohol or struggling with eating or struggling with gambling. It's, it's all the same stuff on the, on this level. Right. Well, I think that's what I appreciate so much too. It's not just the work you're doing, but just also your transparency and sharing your own story and because it makes so much sense. And I think you probably wouldn't have gotten to this level of understanding if it wasn't something you were personally trying to tease out, you know, I mean, yeah, there had to be a, a, that, that push. Um, and I just help, I think it helps people not feel so alone in their own struggle. You know, you talk about like, oh, we're all in it and everyone's suffering and everybody has moments of suffering. But when people don't talk about that suffering, it can very easily feel like, no, it's just me, you know? Mm -hmm. And in fact, isolation is uh, one of the subscales for measuring self-compassion. So it's negatively associated with self-compassion. And so what we know is that if people are more kind to themselves and supportive internally, they're less apt to isolate themselves and more apt to reach out for help. And so they get that common humanity piece, like you said. I love yeah. that. Because isolation kills, right? Yes. We know that there's been some really powerful studies in elders where uh, they look at um, you know people, what, 70 years and up, and if they don't have contact with people from the outside world, um, they die earlier. Yeah, it makes so much. And it's so easy. I remember recently, or I guess it was a year ago, I was in a funk. And I, I was telling a friend on the phone, I said, I don't know, I just don't feel right. I just don't have any energy. I'm just feeling like down. And she's like, well, what are you doing right now? I'm like, um, I'm in this like dark room um, in my pajamas, like watching Netflix about like a murder. <laughs> she's like, okay, well, let's not do that, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. But it's just so easy until I started to say what I was actually doing. It didn't seem to be a problem, you know? But then you say it out loud and you're like, oh, okay, maybe that's not the best idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that having a self-compassionate mindset will help you to change those behaviors. Yeah, and I think to know that we all go through these ebbs and flows, you know, like we get mm -hmm. these successes, whether it be in your own functioning or in your relationships or in your energy levels, that it's not going to just, it, we all, we can't, somebody made some analogy like, you know, that trees or flowers can't always be in bloom. You know what I mean? Like that they need that time to recover and then bloom again. I think that's very true. I mean, life is cyclical in many ways. Uh, and we know that suffering is part of the human experience. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we do in the Western world is we just try to eliminate anything that's uncomfortable, anything that, you know, we consider you know, bad emotions or, well, you know, that's not just really how humans work, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we all have good days. We all have bad days. We all have joy and we all have suffering. And so, um, you know, if we have better tools to be able to recognize our own suffering and then be kind and supportive and actually work with that suffering in a way that benefits us, uh, it's, it's just so much more pleasant than, you know, like railing against it. Yes. Yeah. Railing against something that's bound to happen, right? You're bound to have a bad day. Right. It's, it's, I mean, and the older I get, the more I just, it's clear. You know, oh, here's that day. You know, okay. Well, right. well at least we're moving. We, at least we got it done. What What would you recommend to people who are wanting to do something like this and maybe looking for community around this or don't know where to start? What would you recommend? Sure. What's, what's sort of a, a way to get going in this? 
Well, I've got a Facebook group uh, that's called Inner Allies, uh, I-N-N-E-R-A-L-L-I-E-S on, on Facebook. And okay. So you can search that and join the community. I'm usually posting different bits of research, but in a lay you know, fashion, uh, you know, usually news articles or something like that. Uh, and you can kind of join the conversation there, ask questions or however you want to participate, it's fine. Um, and then I also do personal coaching with people. So if you've listened to what we were saying today and you say, oh, I see myself, I see the potential for me to really change my life in a positive way. You know, I would love to work with you individually. Uh, and in the fall, um, I will be teaching the eight-week course again. I don't Ooh. have a date set just yet, but uh, you can always contact me at Cynthia at innerally.com, and that's I-N-N-E-R-A-L-L-Y. And I'll add a link for your site, and then maybe I have a Facebook group for the podcast as well and social media, so when you do have dates, I'll make sure to get them out to everyone. Um, oh, so that people can know what's going on. So do you do, when you do the coaching, do you do it um, remotely as well, like a Skype or a phone, or does it have to be in person? I really enjoy doing Skype coaching, probably okay. better than anything else, uh, as long as the person has a, a good room they can hole up in to be able to, to talk to me, then that works great. Occasionally, I will see people face-to-face -face here in San Antonio if uh, that works out for our schedules. Okay, that's great. It's such a huge resource being able to do things through Skype or online. It's yeah. nice to be able to make it. It makes, our, it makes us able to have a, a larger impact. For sure. What One of the questions I wanted to ask you about, and I, well, first, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you were hoping you would be able to share with me? here. Actually, I think we've done a great job. I mean, you've really guided the conversation well. Well, thank you. Um, I am excited to learn all about this, and I'm excited. I would be interested in maybe taking your course in the fall, so definitely let me know when you hear about Wonderful. it, when you get it going. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be the, I think, fourth or fifth time I've taught it here in San Antonio. Awesome. Yeah. So one of my, the last question I like to ask people, and I mean, it sounds like you've sort of built your life around this to a certain extent, but is about self-care and just how you care for yourself. Um, one of the things that I, I think is missing from a lot of our lives is just this awareness of what, what we need to feel cared for. Um, and so I'm just curious, what do you do for yourself and in terms of your own self-care to keep yourself healthy in, in the midst of all this work that you're doing? Ah, yes. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely important to have some kind of method because uh, I know for me, it can easily take a back seat to other things that I'm passionate about. And then I run myself out of gas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even when you're talking so, about self-care, right? I mean, I found myself, right? you know, <laughs> well, you really need to take care of yourself. And then I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I haven't been taking care oh, of yeah, myself. Yeah. yeah. I haven't had a day off. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, manage uh, an autoimmune disease that I have, and so that adds an extra layer of uh, importance for me to stay on top of it because uh, you know stress and diet and exercise all play a role in me staying healthy for that. And so I've actually uh, last September I've developed a method where I track um, a variety of things to give myself like a global idea of how well I'm doing at self-care. Hmm. And uh, I have this, I have a calendar. I'm totally be willing to share that with you. You need to make an app. <laughs> I've thought about it, actually. No one take this idea. Copyrighted. I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, if somebody wants to make it, you know, please do, because the world needs it. <laughs> That's true. Okay. I was just trying to get, get you back there. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're great. Yeah, but any, I'm happy to share it with your community. So that would be you, fantastic. Your Facebook group, I'll post Ooh, my calendar. But I would love that. I basically track a few things. One is movement, and I call it movement, not exercise, because it needs to be broad. Uh, and I have another category called batch cooking. So instead of tracking every little tiny food thing, which you can really get out of control with autoimmune eating. Uh, I track batch cooking because if I'm cooking a bunch of stuff at home and then taking it with me to work, 
uh, and eating it throughout the week, then I know that I'm eating the right stuff. Mm. At least I have a better shot at it. Right, for sure. <laughs> and then I've got a category called mindfulness. So like if I go to a meditation or if I do something above and beyond my little daily practice. Uh, and then I have a category called delight. And so this is actually the opposite of stress. So, you know, trying to measure stress is not useful. Yeah. <laughs> So I measure, so like things that go on that list are, or that I get like a little sticker for on that are things like, oh, I had a cup of coffee with a dear girlfriend or, um, you know, I went to a really fun show or, you know, things that are delightful and they can be smaller or big. Uh, and then the last uh, category is what I call my health list, which is um, doctor's appointments and uh, testing and all of these other things that come with uh, managing that disorder but you know if you wanted to generalize it to yourself you can make that you know whatever other category but what happens with these broad broad categories is that I get a sticker every day that I do one of these things and stick those stickers on there I can just look at the month and see if I'm in trouble or not right yeah <laughs> that is so smart and so it's like a snapshot of self-care for me. And, and I just, it, I mean, it was born out of um, desperation because I was struggling because the number of things that I was supposed to be managing were just beyond my anyone's capability, quite frankly. <laughs> Too many micro decisions. So this just gets kind of the macro picture of whether I'm doing good self-care or not. I love that. Well, and I think it's nice to have a visual too, because you, you kind of oh, yeah. sometimes forget, well, oh, I did do that thing, you know? Uh, and I'm a game designer. And so I understand, you know, even though I have a little, even though it's just a little foam sticker, it makes me happy and it rewards me. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I um, It's funny because as you're talking about all these things you keep track of, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I need to do better at that. Oh, I need to do better at that. And it goes back to the self-compassion, right? It's like, okay, I haven't made my doctor's appointments. Okay, well, notice, I'm, you know, and make the appointment. But it's just so yeah. funny. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just, it's always there. Just that little critic of, you know, or, and it, it I personally, I don't think my critic is super terrible. But even just the, in those moments of like, why am I measuring myself? to what you, you are doing. Like, Oh, right, look at what all right. Cynthia's doing. That's where, and one of the things we keep talking about on the podcast is social media and how tricky social media is with that comparison and keeping your voice oh, yeah. kind of in check. Um, so anyway, um, well, I just want to thank you so much. You have taught me so much today and I will definitely uh, share your website and all of the information you have in our Facebook group. And if anybody's interested in joining the Family Brain uh, Facebook group, just search Family Brain Podcast and you can get all the information there. And then I'll also link all the resources in our show notes. So thank you so much, Cynthia. Well, it was such a joy to talk to you today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.